So if we live in this world, the, the functions and features of technology are what vendors try to sell us, telling us that it will solve sociological problems. This is the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast, sharing thought-provoking content and discussions to enhance your leadership development journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Here are your hosts, Chantal Nash and Gary Norton from the digital learning team at Crothenville, GE's Global Learning Institute. Hey, we're back for our final episode with Julian Stott on social leadership. We've had some really good conversations on social age and creating communities. And today we're going to wrap things up by going into technology versus sociology, which I think is going to give us a lot to think about for quite some time. Yes, uh, I'm really excited about this topic, although it is our our last bit with Julian. Let's jump right in. And, and Julian, if you could just maybe talk to us a little bit more about your concept of, you know, it's not technology, it's sociology and what that really means. Yeah, and this is it's another feature of the social age. You know, in, in the old world, um, technology was very valuable. Infrastructure itself was valuable. The ability to connect, to have phone calls. You know, if you look at a, if, if you ask a, uh, you know, one of us to draw a picture of an office, we'll draw, you know, a desk and a computer and a telephone because those were the relics. They were the artifacts of power and control. You know, the more senior you are, the bigger the desk you get, the better the computer you get and the more fancy the phone you get. But of course, now we're connected in so many different ways. So we could be talking now with, you know, we are talking now by Skype, but we could be using Zoom. We could be on Hangouts or WebEx or, you know, any number of different platforms. We could be chatting with Yammer or Jive, you know, again, there's any number mm -hmm. of, of, of spaces and ways that we can connect. So the technology becomes incidental to what we do with it. In the old days, it was hard to connect because it was hard to connect. Today, it's easy to connect. It's the ways that we, that we talk, that we do things that count. And one thing I found that was very interesting, I did a small experiment last year uh, around a leadership development program with a global um, petrochemical company. And running that leadership program with the first cohort, we used their formal learning technology. So it was a you know, collaborative system, infrastructure system, assessment system. And, you know, you got a good level of engagement running through it. The second time we ran the cohort, we used private LinkedIn groups and WordPress and WhatsApp. And we had engagement that was 20 times higher. And it was mm. just a few people responding with 20 times more comment. The breadth of engagement, we had an additional 60% of people who were highly engaged. Those are massive changes. Yeah. It's not to do with the functionality of the technology. It's actually to do with things like sense of consequence and ownership of the story. What's the permanence? Who owns it? You know, who owns this conversation? If we're not contracted, we're not using any formal technology, we're just having a conversation. We're both on an equal power basis within it. Once we start to move within a formal system, an organizational collaboration system, then we somehow feel, we understand that the story is somehow owned. It changes the things we say, the things we do. So if we live in this world, the, the functions and features of technology are what vendors try to sell us, telling us that it will solve sociological problems. Really what we need to be focusing on are the sociological questions. How do we earn each other's trust? How does the organization earn our trust? Do we understand the permanence of what we're saying? Is what we're saying here going to turn up in our annual performance review? Or is it going to turn up when it's convenient for the organization to be telling us off? Or on the flip side of that, if we say something great here, how is the organization going to reward us in a social way? 
Yeah. And so, you know, we have a new performance development process that GE has implemented, which is a lot less formal considering the old system that we had. It's about being able to provide our peers insights in the form of continue feedback, you know, continue doing something or also consider feedback. And the thing to remember about this that I'm hearing from you, Julian, is just, you know, because we have the process, we have tried to instill that it is still just a process. And you're right, you know, just because we have a website and an app, some people still see that as very formal. There's still a lot of questions about who is really seeing this, where is it going? And the whole idea is we just want the conversations to happen and to have the impact on performance. We're not in a contest for how many people use the site or the app if it doesn't result in the performance. So I just think it's a great point around whether you have technology or new ways of doing things, you still have to address the other side of that. Yeah, I think it's it's also important to to understand that, you know, different people might perceive this tool in a, in different ways where some people might want more formality and that if they engage in a system that comes off as too casual, they may walk away thinking they have no accountability or actionable items, you know, as an outcome of that system. Yeah, that's that's a great point too, Gary. And I think, at least for me, that um, accountability and those kinds of things are, are absolutely necessary for performance. And I think it's the way that it's approached will simply change. So instead of somebody trickling accountability down to you and saying, this is what you're accountable for, it's more about that personal accountability and how does the organization create that sense of ownership. So I, it's a really great point about some people prefer or even need more structure and things like that to be successful. And I think that's the responsibility of the organization to figure out for each individual, right? Yeah, at the, at, at the very least, the individual could always have the responsibility of asking for more structure. That's true, too. Yeah, that's very true, too. We, we have to be vocal about what we need, right? We can't expect somebody to know what our, what our needs are all the time. I think that's right. And the, the, uh, you know, the thing which is of great interest is the difference between a constrained and a dynamic organization. So the questions we have to ask ourselves is, is not just how can we make it easier for people to have those conversations, but how do we know if they, you know, if, if they think they're having a formal conversation, they'll still say formal things. There is a large extent to which we may need to just relinquish all control over the conversations. So it's good to be moving away from the annual performance review, but that's because everybody's too polite to say, why on earth were you doing them anyway? Much of the work I do around organizational change focuses on this middle state. So resistant organizations are the ones that just say, what do you mean? You know, we've always done performance reviews. That's what we're going to continue to do. Mm -hmm. You then go to the next state, organizations which are rehearsing and prototyping and doing loads of great new stuff. And these are really good organizations. But there's this interesting differentiation between good and excellent. What I typically say is that, you know, to get from bad to good is, is reasonably easy. It's not that hard to get an organization from being bad to being good. It's massively difficult to get an organization from good to excellent. But we live in a world which is fairly mm -hmm. unforgiving of good. You know, there's lots of organizations that are good, and they're good right up until the point when the market gets stolen away from underneath them. And this is a significant challenge because we might be seeing more infrastructural changes in our economies, in our societies, indeed in the notion of what an organization is. It's the reason I started writing about socially dynamic organizations is because 
many of the, the organizations that I speak to are, are trying to get to that space. And they're often focusing on how they get individuals to do things differently. The thing they need to hold on to is how they themselves continue to do things differently and often relinquish ever greater amounts of control over people. Because in a space where the career, the notion of career is largely a fiction, the ways that we're engaged with people will be fundamentally different. Uh, it may be over long periods of time in short bursts. It may be short periods of high added value, but it will be different. The, the, the levers of power that we have over people are different. So the ways that we need to reward and respect people need to be different too. It's brilliant that you're doing these things. You know, many organizations are doing these things to, to start learning, start trying. And the thing I, I encourage any organization is to do more. You know, just continue. Now is not the time to be making it safe. Now is the time to be fueling the fire and learning ever more ways of getting it wrong. And, you know, as we do so, to keep sharing the story, to be working out loud, to be iterating and evolving. it, And that's really the only hope I think we, we, we have as organizations is to, is to learn to iterate, to rapidly prototype and to adapt at speed. That's often at odds with the mechanisms of career development, the mechanisms of procurement, the mechanisms of measuring return on investment that are geared up towards things being procured in projects, lasting for years, evolving over time. You know, if you or I have a, a, an app on our telephone that stops being useful, we'll just stop using it because the consequence of that decision is next to nothing. There's no impact of diving out. If something better comes along, we'll go for it. That's diametrically opposed to what happens in most organizations. They say, we bought it, now we're going to use it. We'll revisit that in five years' time. It's a big challenge for software providers because we live in a world where to produce systems to an enterprise level standard is massively complicated and time consuming and expensive. And so there's a whole load of different vendors investing all their time, effort and energy in doing that. The good news for us as consumers is we're only going to use the one that's any good. So the fact that these people are sort of investing so much in it is kind of irrelevant to us. If something better comes along, we'll move. And you'll see many organizations are no longer willing to be bound into long-term contracts to high uh, license fees for individuals because they'll recognize this, you know, that, that no one yeah. system is going to solve all these challenges that we face. It'll be lightweight, diverse, interconnected ecosystems of technology. So those are some interesting comments about um, deleting the app off your phone when it becomes useless for you. And I remember, you know, years and years ago, people build products and part of the product development team was also looking at planned obsolescence when the next model would come out with the new feature, so on and so forth. Um, and now it's actually in reverse. You know, the, the people who are using it, your end users are going to be telling you when it's obsolete and no longer uh, will they uh, download or use your app. That's so true. And going back to the comments on career too, uh, I know we talked a little bit about this earlier on, on episode one, but it's very important to recognize what changes are needed in organizations and for leaders as a result of the dynamics of careers changing. So I think that started in the world, but I also think there are major pockets where this is not at all recognized yet, especially as it pertains to power and respect. You know, I think it's good advice in general to be grounded and relatable and accessible as a leader, but... I think it will become increasingly obvious in the future what consequences come about as a result of not behaving in those ways. There's just so many more resources becoming available to us. And it's not to say that the need for support of others is going to go away. 
But for any one person to believe that they have ultimate control over somebody, I think the truth of that is dwindling away. And uh, like you said, control is, is not what's going to get the best results anyway. Julian, I know you've also got some great reflections on technology and failure and machine learning, which I'd love to talk more about now, but we're unfortunately close to the end of our time. So between that and going more into communities and technology and so many other things that, you know, I've seen from you that are extremely insightful, we'll definitely have to have you back here with us. For our listeners, as you walk away from this episode, think about building those tech skills and also focusing on the value proposition to catalyze change and avoid the churn that we've been talking about. I see on the blog every day, I see my statistics, I see traffic coming through every day from GE. And all of that tells me something of an organization which is curious about how to change, about how to learn. And that's really, you know, to take us full circle, it's the most important thing. If we believe we have all the answers in a world that's ever changing, we'll consign ourselves to history. So, you know, thank you for the, the, the chance to connect today and to share. If you're interested in any of these areas, then, you know, do get in touch and, and, and happily share those pieces around it. I greatly enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks again, Julian. Appreciate the time you spent with us. You can follow Julian on Twitter at Julian Stodd and subscribe to his blog as well. And also pick up the Social Leadership Handbook. If you like the show, be sure to like, comment, share, and leave us a review.